0: Well, good morning. If you have uh, a Bible with you, please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, you can just slip your hand up. One of our ushers will bring you one. And if you don't have one at home, you're welcome to take that Bible home with you. Uh, If you're just joining us for the first time, I've been preaching through the book of Luke. Uh, Luke originally wrote this very long letter to a man named Theophilus who knew some things about Jesus, uh, but Luke wanted Theophilus to be certain about Jesus, so Luke wrote Theophilus, this very long letter uh, of facts about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're nearing the end, we're in Luke 21, we'll be reading verses 20 through 28, Luke chapter 21, and we'll be starting in verse 20. Let's, let's pray before we read. Father, we just thank you for every opportunity to open your word. And I just pray now in the name of Jesus Christ that uh, you would cause your spirit to open our hearts, Father, so that we might receive your word. Father, I pray that you would remove any distractions from the room and from our minds. Father, I pray you would help us to be active listeners, engaging in your word. And I pray, Father, that we would not simply be hearers, but doers of your word. We thank you. We believe you've breathed this word out for our eternal good. I pray that you would bless this time now in the name of Jesus. But when you see, this, this is Jesus speaking, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, Because your redemption is drawing near, amen. As I mentioned a few Sundays ago, Luke 21 is basically one long teaching from Jesus. It starts in verse 5 in this chapter, goes all the way to the end of the chapter. This teaching was also recorded in Matthew and Mark in a little different forms. And people call this teaching the Olivet Discourse because Jesus was on the Mount of Olives here. He was just a few days from death at this time. He was teaching daily in the temple in Jerusalem. And at night, Jesus and his disciples would leave Jerusalem. They would travel over the Mount of Olives to Bethany where they would stay the night. And then they would return again in the morning. And on one of those trips, while on the Mount of Olives, looking across at the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus gave this teaching. And throughout this teaching here, Jesus was speaking about future things. He was speaking about things that at this point in time, in first century AD, were all still to come. Jesus talks here about two primary future events, the destruction of the temple and his second coming. A lot of what Jesus says in this chapter has to do with the destruction of the temple, which at this point in time had not yet taken place, but it would soon, about 40 years later in A.D. 70. But Jesus also talks in this chapter about his second coming, his future return to earth, which has still not yet taken place. And Jesus moves freely in this chapter between those two events. A lot of what he says here clearly has to do with the end of the temple, but he also says some things here about his second coming. And Jesus moves freely between those two big events here in this chapter because Jesus knows that the things that would accompany those two events would in some ways be similar. Jesus knows that there would be a similar type of devastation with both events, with the temple, a devastation only on the nation of Israel, and with his second coming, a devastation on the whole world to some degree, but a similar type of devastation. And similar signs before both of those events. And similar persecution before both of those events. Two big events here separated by centuries in world history. And yet in the mind of Jesus, they would be similar in some ways. The end of the temple would foreshadow the end of the world. The end of the temple would be a small picture. It would be a tiny foretaste of the end of the world. And in the passage we're looking at this morning, Jesus talks about one specific thing to come. One thing that would soon come to Israel with the destruction of the temple. And one thing that would also ultimately come to the entire world at his second coming. And that thing is judgment. The wrath or the fury of a just God unleashed against sin. And, and before we work our way through this passage, let me say this. This passage is not easy to interpret. Uh, Some of the concepts here and some of the terms, they are absolutely loaded with very deep and often difficult to understand meaning. Much of it pertains to the end times in the future before Jesus will return. Some of the language here can be found in some notoriously challenging Old Testament prophecies and also in the book of Revelation. Christians have debated over the meaning of some of this stuff for 2,000 years. And if we try to look in depth at everything here, this sermon will never end. And I know that you do want this sermon to end. And I do too. So we will not look in depth at everything here. This will not be a class on end times eschatology. We will just try to look at this thing humbly and simply and stick to the main point. When Christians look at passages like this, they often just end up debating things. And they miss the point. And I do not want you to miss the point this morning. I realize that many of us here have different in-time beliefs. You might not agree with everything I say here this morning, and that's okay. You will be wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> but seriously, regardless of your in-time position, it doesn't matter. The, the, the main point in this passage is the same. And here's the main point, regardless of your end time position, judgment is coming. Be prepared. And the first thing Jesus talks about here in this passage is the judgment that would soon come to Israel in A.D. 70. You look at verse 20 again, Jesus says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. And for those of you just joining us, let me kind of remind you of the context here in this teaching... Back at the start of this teaching in verse 5, Jesus' disciples were admiring the temple in Jerusalem. They were looking out from the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley. They were looking at this magnificent temple back in that day. Massive marble stones, gold and jewels. And they were admiring the temple and making comments to Jesus about this amazing temple. But then in verse 6, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, disciples, that temple there, it will soon be destroyed. And so in verse 7, the disciples, probably shocked to hear that, they responded with a question, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? When, Jesus, will that temple right there be destroyed, and and what will be the signs before that temple is destroyed? And so in verses 8 to 19, Jesus then described for his disciples some signs that would come before the destruction of the temple. And now here in verses 20 to 24, which we're looking at now, Jesus begins to describe the actual destruction itself. Disciples, that city there that you see lying in front of you, Jerusalem, that city will soon be surrounded by armies. You will see it. Jesus says, with your own two eyes, and when you see it, disciples, you will know that that city's desolation is near. And that word desolation is important. When Jesus used that word desolation there, He was not just telling his disciples that the city would soon be destroyed. No, he was also indicating to his disciples that the temple would soon be defiled. Jesus took that word desolation straight out out of the book of Daniel. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, written some 500 years before this right here, Daniel gave several prophecies about a future abomination of desolation. Some abomination that that would someday be set up in in the temple. Some sort of offensive, idolatrous thing, detestable to God, that would be set up in the temple and would defile the temple and make it desolate. It would cause the people of Israel to desert the temple. And many people in Jesus' day believed That those prophecies from the book of Daniel had already been fully fulfilled in 186 B.C. When Antiochus Epiphanes came into Jerusalem with his armies, conquered Jerusalem, stopped the sacrifices in the temple. He set up an idol of Zeus in the temple. And he sacrificed pigs on the altar. An act of deliberate defilement that made the temple desolate. And Antiochus was probably a partial fulfillment of Daniel's prophecies. An abomination of desolation in the temple. But when Jesus says right here to his disciples that a desolation will soon come to Jerusalem, he's alluding to those prophecies. In Matthew and Mark, in their versions of the Olivet Discourse, Jesus uses the phrase abomination of desolation. A clear reference to Daniel's prophecies. Jesus was telling his disciples right here that another fulfillment of Daniel's prophecies was coming in their day. Disciples, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you will then know That that magnificent temple right there will soon be defiled. An abomination that will make that temple desolate. Now Christians have debated for years whether there might also be some type of future abomination of desolation before the return of Christ. Some say yes, some say no. And I would say that we will not get into that this morning. Whatever you believe about a future, desola- a future abomination of desolation, please know this. Here in this passage, Jesus was looking at a physical temple in his day. And he was telling his disciples, desolation. That temple, right there, will soon be defiled and destroyed along with that entire city there and man you you put yourselves in the disciples shoes (laughs) these men and probably women lots of disciples here were probably freaked out to hear jesus say that are you kidding abomination of desolation there that that temple will be destroyed that structure, you've got to be kidding me. Imagine freaked out. But Jesus then, man, he graciously gives his disciples here some life-saving instructions, a way of escape when this thing comes down. You know how flight attendants uh, give you instructions before you take off? (laughs) In the event of a decompression, use the oxygen mask. In the event of a water landing, use the seat cushion. The emergency exits are equipped with inflatable flies, which can be detached and used as life rafts. They are giving you some life-saving instructions, a way of escape in case disaster comes. Now, most of us never listen because we know that if our plane really does fall out of the sky, a little foam seat cushion probably won't help. Man, thank God I got a piece of foam. (laughs) That will absorb the blow. <laughs> but Jesus, there's a reason you watch TV at that time or watch to fiddle with your phone. You know it doesn't matter what they're saying. You just hope the thing lands again. So, you know, Jesus, though, here in this passage, he gives his disciples some life-saving instructions that will actually help. A way of escape when this disaster here comes. And if they will... Listen to his instructions and obey his instructions, they will be spared from this coming judgment. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, disciples, when you see Jerusalem, they're surrounded by armies, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter the city, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. (laughs) It's a pretty simple message right there from Jesus. Jesus is basically saying, disciples, when you see this thing beginning to brew here, get out of the city. Run for the hills. (laughs) The exact opposite, by the way, of what people typically did back then when a city was under siege when another country would invade a country and they would begin to surround a city people didn't run into the city no people ran out of the city oh I'm sorry I said that wrong didn't I okay so when they would surround the city people didn't run out of the city they ran into the city Because the city had walls. The city was a fortress from the ravages of war. Nobody ran out of the city. And Jesus gives his disciples some crazy bit of information here. Go the other way. When you see everybody else heading into that city, you head for the hills. Because Jesus knows That the people who remain in this city will not be safe. These are the days of vengeance, he says. Look at verse 23. He says, Alas, or woe, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth. That could also be translated as there will be great distress upon the land. And wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword. And be led captive among all nations. Pregnant or nursing women back then were some of the most vulnerable people in society. Uh, You women who have been pregnant or nursing infants, you know life is just more difficult when you are. And women back then who had little children or or were pregnant uh, were just more vulnerable. And the siege of a city was particularly difficult for them. And Jesus knows that the mothers in Jerusalem will suffer greatly. But Jesus knows all the people will really suffer. Jesus says there will be wrath against this people. Wrath against all of the Jews in that city. The fall by the sword, Jesus says. Be taken captive, Jesus says. And Jesus then says down in verse 24 that Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles. Trodden down by non-Jews. Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there has been lots of debate over what Jesus was saying there. I cannot get into all of it. But one thing that Jesus was clearly saying there. One thing that Jesus has really been saying all the way through the book of Luke. Is that this destruction of the temple would initiate a new era or period in human history. It would initiate a new period in God's redemptive plan. It would initiate the times of the Gentiles or the times of non-Jews. This long season of time when Gentiles in this world, in many ways, would now dominate the scene. And they would also dominate in God's redemptive plan. This long season of time, among other things, when, when, among other things, God would now save massive numbers of Gentiles. Man, up to this point in human history, God had basically been saving Jews. Now, a few people from other nations, but it was basically just Jews. The people of God up to this point consisted primarily just of ethnic Jews. But this destruction here would mark the start of something new. A massive expansion or explosion of God's saving work to Gentiles. God would now begin to save massive numbers of Gentiles and incorporate them into the one people of God, the church, the body of Christ, a body consisting of believing Jews and now also believing Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles. The times in which we are now still living. That's it. We now still live in a time where massive numbers of Gentiles are being saved by God. Massive numbers. God, right now, is advancing the gospel, the news of Jesus, to other nations around the globe. But the Apostle Paul says in Romans 11 that a type of hardening has come upon the Jews, and they are not now being saved in massive numbers. But Jesus says here that the times of the Gentiles will someday be fulfilled. And he seems to be indicating there, and Paul seems to be indicating in Romans 11, that at some point in the future, God will remove the hardening of the Jews, and things will shift back to ethnic Jews, and God will then save massive numbers of Jews. Not all Jews, but massive numbers of Jews, and incorporate them into the one people of God, the church, believing Jews and Gentiles. Now, we might disagree on how all that would take place, but I think Jesus is saying something like that there. So Jesus was predicting here in this passage, he's predicting once again, like he does many other times in Luke, he's predicting here that Jerusalem would soon be destroyed. And every single thing that Jesus prophesied here, it happened. Some 40 years later, in AD 70, a horrific devastation of the city of Jerusalem. Josephus, the Jewish historian, was an eyewitness of it, and he described it in his book, The War of the Jews. I will spare you some of the gorier details, and it was gory. In A.D. 66, the Roman army led by Titus slowly gathered around Jerusalem, built a siege wall outside of the city wall to hem the city in and starve it out. The Romans burned the Jews' stockpiles of food and cut off their water supply. Josephus said that the starving Jews were soon Eating leather, hay, clothing, and even eating out of the public sewers. The city streets were soon covered with so many corpses that in many places the ground could not be seen at all. In order to make room in the city, the Jewish people started throwing corpses over the city wall. The people who tried to flee the city at this time were crucified by the Romans right up where the Jews could see that from the city walls. As many as 500 crucifixions a day. There were human sacrifices within the city and reports of widespread cannibalism, even among family members. And when the Romans finally penetrated the city, Titus and his men went through it with their swords drawn, and they killed at will. When they finally made it to the temple, they set up their legionary standards in the temple. All of the standards bearing idolatrous images of Caesar on them. They sacrificed to those images within the temple, and they joyfully declared in the temple that Caesar was God. They then set fire to the city and tore the temple down. Josephus estimated that close to a million Jews were killed and another 100,000 taken into captivity. A massive devastation. Forty years after Jesus prophesied that it would happen. And men. Why did this thing take place? You know, the Bible would sum it up in one word. Judgment. Judgment. The wrath or fury of a just God unleashed against sin. The Romans may have carried it out But it was an act of divine justice against the sin of Israel. Jesus said in a parable back in Luke 20 that the owner of the vineyard would soon come and destroy the wicked tenants of the vineyard. And it happened. Robert Stein said, the Romans were simply the executioners of God's wrath. God's wrath against sin. And you know what? That, that may be a new concept for some of you. And that's pretty common in our day. You know, in a lot of Christian circles in our day, you will never hear about the wrath of God. You only hear about the love of God. And yes, God is infinitely loving. The Bible says God is love. But this loving God is also a just love. God is a God of justice and because he is a God of justice, he must and he will punish sin. He will punish the crimes committed against him. And it happened there in AD 70, judgment from a just God on the sin of Israel. But man, please listen to me. God was very slow to anger with the Jewish people. It wasn't like these people sinned one day and then then God judged them and punished them the, the next day. No, the Jewish people had sinned against God for a very long time, for hundreds of years before this judgment fell. Throughout the entire Old Testament period, the majority of Jews were constantly unfaithful to the covenant that God had made with them. A constant idolatry and in perversion. Repeatedly turning away from God. And yet God was patient. And He sent prophet after prophet to Israel. To warn them to turn from their sin. And yet Israel just killed God's prophets. And yet God was still patient. And He even then sent His own Son. Israel sent his own son to the vineyard Jesus was there right now he's there he's standing right outside the, the city of Jerusalem up on the Mount of Olives he's there in Israel the son of God the flesh and blood messiah God in human flesh is is there. And up to this point in the book of Luke, Jesus has been mercifully calling out to the Jewish people, warning them over and over again, calling them to turn from their sin and to follow Him. But most of the Jews at this point had rejected Him. And they were right now preparing to kill Him. And yet, man, even after they do, kill Jesus God will still give the Jewish people 40 more years with the disciples running around Jerusalem saying repent 40 more years of God's long-suffering mercy displayed to Israel but in a.d. 70 Time had run out, the door was shut, and judgment fell. The wrath or fury of a just God against the sin of Israel. But do you know what's amazing about this destruction in A.D. 70? You know what's amazing about it? Almost every single disciple of Jesus escaped. The disciples, warned by Jesus right here, they remembered his warning. And when they saw the Roman soldiers beginning to amass around the city of Jerusalem, Eusebius, another historian, said that the Christians took that to be the signal from Jesus. And they gathered their belongings and fled across the Jordan River to the city of Pella. Josephus said, that the Christians left Jerusalem like swimmers deserting a sinking ship. And according to historical records, almost every single Christian escaped. Jesus graciously provided a way of escape here. Some life-giving instructions. They believed Him. They followed his instructions and were spared. And man, that's how God works. That's how God works. When judgment is coming, God always, always, always provides a way of escape. Judgment was coming in the days of Noah, and Noah told people to get in the ark. Judgment was coming to Nineveh and Jonah told people to repent. Judgment was coming to Sodom and two angels told people to flee to the hills. When judgment is coming, God always provides a way of escape, life-saving instructions and those who believe Him and follow His instructions are spared. That's one thing Jesus talks about here in this passage. The judgment that would come to Israel in A.D. 70. And the second thing Jesus talks about here is the judgment that would come to the entire world at His second coming. Jesus, you know, He just talked here. He just talked. His disciples around Him, He just talked about this judgment that would come to Israel in A.D. 70. And in the very next verse, Verse 25, he starts talking about his second coming. Why? Well, here's one reason. Because Jesus knows that the judgment would be similar. He knows the judgment would be similar. Jesus knows here that the judgment that would come in A.D. 70 would be similar in some ways to the judgment that would come at his second coming. The only major difference would be that the judgment at his second coming would be much bigger. The judgment in A.D. 70 was just a small picture. It was a tiny foretaste of the judgment that will ultimately come when Jesus returns. At the second coming of Christ, man, the wrath of a just God won't then just be unleashed against the sin of Israel, but against the sin of the world. You look at verse 25. Jesus now jumps directly to his second coming and and he begins to describe it. He says, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming with power and great glory could you imagine what his disciples were thinking when they hear Jesus saying these things when I return to this earth disciples there will be a massive universal upheaval things that this earth has never seen before. Signs in the sun, and the moon, and the stars. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. And a distress of nations, Jesus says. Whole nations in dismay Or or in anguish because of this unprecedented roaring of the seas and the waves. People on the earth fainting with fear, Jesus says. Passing out with fear. And with foreboding. This fearful apprehension that something really bad is coming. And then Jesus says they will see the Son of Man. Jesus, He he told His disciples they would see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. And now He says that when He returns, people will see Him. See Him with their own two eyes. The Son of Man, the flesh and blood Messiah, God in human flesh, coming, Jesus says, on a cloud power, and great glory. And please listen to me. When Jesus returns, He will be coming in judgment. Jesus came to earth the first time in humility to die for the sin of the world. But He will come to earth the second time in glory. To judge the sin of the world. You might find this hard to believe. But Jesus, when He returns, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, He will be coming to the earth in wrath. The wrath or fury of a just God unleashed against the sin of the world. Revelation 19.12 the eyes of Jesus like a flame of fire, many crowns on his head. His clothed, or clothed in a robe dipped in blood. the armies of heaven following him on white horses. in his mouth a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And Revelation 19:15 says that he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. 2 Thessalonians 1.7 The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance. Jesus talked here about vengeance on the sin of Israel in A.D. 70. And when Jesus returns, He will inflict vengeance on the sin of the world. God must and God will punish sin. And if somebody tells you otherwise, they are lying to you. God does not simply overlook sin. He does not sweep sin under the carpet because He is loving. No, God must and He will. Because He is a just God, punish every single sin and listen millions and millions of people when they see Jesus coming in judgment they will be absolutely terrified revelation 615 the kings of the earth and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful slave and free, they will hide themselves in the caves. They will hide themselves among the rocks of the mountain. They will call out to the mountains and rocks, saying, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand millions of people millions of people cowering and hiding in fear who can stand before the wrath of the lamb who can stand the judgment at AD 70 was just a small picture a foretaste of the judgment that will soon come when Christ returns but man here's the here's the really good news This morning, good news in a passage like this. When judgment is coming, God always provides a way of escape. And God has provided a way of escape from this coming judgment. And His name is Jesus. The only escape from the coming judgment. The Lamb who will one day come in glory to judge the sin of the world. He first came in humility to die for the sin of the world. Jesus came not just to show you how to be a good person. Not just to give you some nice little teachings. No, Jesus came To receive the judgment for our sin. And He did. Jesus took the sin of the world upon Himself and on the cross, the wrath or fury of a just God was poured out against sin. Do you realize that all of the expressions of wrath here in this passage, the devastation, the the vengeance, the, the sword, the distress, the perplexity, the roaring, do you realize that every last one of those expressions of God's wrath against sin, do you realize that Jesus basically experienced all of them on the cross? Jesus absorbed them all in his own body. And that right there, that is your way of escape. And all through the book of Luke, God has been giving us some life saving instructions, and here they are, repent and believe. Turn away from your sin. And trust in and follow Christ as your Savior and your Master. And if you will believe God's instructions there, and and if you will follow his instructions, you are forgiven. And guess what? When Christ then returns in judgment, who can stand before the wrath of the Lamb? You can. You can. Did you happen to catch what Jesus said at the very end of this passage? Look at verse 28. Jesus is talking to His disciples here, talking to believers, talking to Christians, and He says, Now when these things begin to take place, disciples, when you see Me coming in a cloud of power and great glory to punish the sins of the world, straighten up! Lift your face up for your redemption is coming near. (laughs) Who can stand true disciples of Christ? Millions of people will be cowering in fear because their punishment is drawing near. But Jesus is saying to his disciples here, when I return, do not fear! Do not fear. Stand up. Stand up tall, lift your heads, because I won't be coming to punish you, disciple. I will be coming to take you home. Your final salvation is here. I will not be coming in wrath for you. I will only be coming in love for you. It will not be your day of wrath. It will be your day of final salvation. Heaven with Jesus and His people forever. Praise God. And judgment is coming. That is the point of this passage. However you want to look at the end times, be prepared. And God has given us instructions. Repent and believe. Follow His instructions. And please let me say, Don't play games with His instructions. You know, when Jesus returns, He won't just be coming back to take to heaven those who say they are Christians. He will be coming back to take to heaven those who are Christians. When Jesus returns to this earth, you know what? He's not really going to care what you say with your mouth. He's going to look at the fruit of your life. And He will know by the fruit of your life what you truly, truly believe. But please do not play games with God's instructions. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Believe. Trust in Christ. Follow Him. Seek to obey what He tells you to do in His Word. Don't be a hearer of the Word, but a doer of the Word. And then, do not fear. Stand up. Lift your face and rejoice. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I am ready. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truth of Your Word. Pray, Father, you just drive it into our hearts. Lord, we know back in, in the first century, people laughed when Jesus said there was a destruction coming on Jerusalem. They mocked at it, and then it came. And Father, we know the same thing goes on now. There's people laughing, mocking about any type of coming judgment. Where is it? We don't see it. Where is it? We don't see it. And we know, God, the only reason we don't see it now is because according to your Bible, you are patient, you are long suffering, and you do not desire that we perish. Father, I pray you drive it into our hearts and cause us, Lord, to believe it and cause us to repent and follow Christ truly. Follow Christ as Savior and Master. And Lord, remove the fear from our hearts. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Amen.